Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Cureleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Cureleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Visit us soon at our new State College location. This is the Blue White Breakdown, the premier podcast for all things Penn State football. Talk about culture, but it's something that should show up in every aspect of your program. It's the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live. Here are your hosts, Bob Flounders and Dustin Hawkins-Smith. Hey, welcome in. It's the Blue White Breakdown. That was a deep, heavy sigh from one Bob Flounders, I think, just so eager to catch you up on what's going on in the world of Penn State football. I'm Dustin Hawkinsmith. We got a few topics to cover today, Bob, and I I really felt like, um, and I think I said this last week, when they have media day at Penn State, that's like a turn the corner kind of thing because Penn State's going to be in the news cycle in some way, form, shape or form. Every single day leading up to, I think, September 1st. And I think that's, for the most part, been correct. So I, we have a couple things to touch on first, and then I'll get to your big media day takeaways, what you heard from the coaches and the players there. But we have a couple sure. little little odds and ends. How about just uh, on Monday, um, a decommitment in Penn State's 2023 class to Marion Parker, who, you know, when he committed, uh, I really gushed about him when we, when we talked about him here. Really, really good player. But the fact of the matter, I think, Bob, is that, you know, it's a kid from Alabama. When those yeah. SEC programs start to get a little bit more interested, their, their, their recruitment tends to change a little bit. We've seen it play out with some high-profile guys. I think jo- uh, Justin Fields being at the top of that list from Georgia uh, four or five years yeah. ago. But uh, you lose a really good pass rusher. You, you've leaked a little bit of oil in this class. I think you've made up for it in some respects. But Marion Parker's gone. Yazid Haynes went to Georgia. Joshua Miller went to Georgia. Marcus Stokes went to Florida. There's a real SEC theme in these guys uh, defecting and, and flipping. Yeah, and, you know, Penn State is in the position they're in because of, you know, recent history. You know, three or four years ago, you know, they were a team that was on the cusp, cusp of, you know, getting into the Big Ten championship game maybe getting into the playoff, but the last couple of years have not gone well. And the SEC is, you know, just about, even with a 14 playoff, Dustin, you know, they always look pretty good for at least two playoff spots. I mean, it's going to be one and it might be another one. And who's kidding who? You know, Georgia and Alabama right now are the two best programs in the country. Ohio State's maybe in the conversations, but, you know, recruits recruits aren't stupid. I mean, they, they, it's great to go to Penn state. It's great to have that as a plan B, but if you think you can play uh, at a high level and you want to play in the NFL and the big dogs are interested in you, I mean, you're always going to look that way. I mean, I do think that James and his staff are doing the right thing and they're essentially, you mentioned oil, they're essentially wildcatting. Like they're, they're hoping that, you know, 10%, 20% of the time when they get a prospect, you know, from the South or from Alabama, that looks like the genuine deal. Um, 
you know, if it if it's only 10 or 20 percent of the time and he decides to come to Penn State, well, that could really help Penn State. It could kind of be the start of a pipeline. I don't know. But more often than not, they're probably going to lose out on these kids. And to to realistically think you were going to get a stud maybe out of the South at a premier position, I think the odds were probably stacked against Penn State. But if you're James Franklin and, and that staff, why not take a shot? Keep doing it. And they usually identify these prospects fairly early, Dustin. So I, I'm sure they've always have a plan B in case it doesn't work out. But he was a player that it was always going to be tough, I think, to get him to stay college. I mean, he's just too good of a player. And Penn State is in well, the world that Penn State is in right now is they really need to reestablish themselves as, you know, a top 10 team because they're, they're not, you know, as we're going to talk about the, the inaugural coaches poll, top 25 coaches poll that came out. Bears that out. They have a lot to prove. And until they can start to prove it again, like they did in 16 and 17, you know, even in 2019, I think they're going to lose a lot of these battles. There, There is a real drop off in mystique whenever you get from Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. I still think Clemson is probably in that group, yeah. but they've got to kind of write that ship a little bit. Um, you've got a significant drop off in mystique. Uh, a significant drop off in, in percentages in terms of trying to play in a college football playoff that's important to you. You know, Penn State, when it comes to recruiting, evaluating, and I think really developing too. I mean, I think their track record in yeah. this process is really, really strong, but they do they are capped by the limitations they've shown in the last two years. And you talk about, you know, having that mystique and having all that success and and the rich get richer. Uh it's hard to imagine. You know, Penn State, even if it's a kid in Pennsylvania, uh, not showing interest for the first seven months of the, of the cycle and then showing interest at, at that point in August and, and getting a, a player. You know, that's the advantage that Alabama and Georgia and those guys right. have is that they don't have to be as early on people because right. people aren't going to be people are going to kids are going to be so enamored with the fact that they get offered. They aren't going to feel slighted that it didn't come sooner. Yeah. And it's been, it's, it, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but you just look, you know, it, it used to be just Alabama and Clemson. And now Georgia has, has joined the party. Kirby Smart came to Georgia as a, as a good defensive coach, great recruiter, but you know, in the big games, they always would fall up. They would fall short. Well, after last year, uh, and they also had a, a couple of good years before that. I mean, they are, they have officially caught, I think they've officially caught Alabama. They've passed Clemson, right? Ohio State's in the conversation, but after that, it's a pretty, pretty uh, severe drop off. As good as Michigan was last year, Dustin, Georgia annihilated them in that in that national semifinal. I mean, it was it was really really apparent just how far away the Big Ten was, their, their best versus the SEC's best. So, but I mean, even Georgia it didn't. They had to get to this point. It took them time. They had to consistently show that they could be a top ten team. And I, you know, this is James's ninth year. I mean, they've been a consistent, I mean, they've been in the top 10, what, 16, uh, 17 early, uh, actually 16, 17, and then 19. But I mean, what about the other years? What about, you know, what about 18? They started off good, but they ended up with like four losses. And then the last two years were just, you know, fool me once, shame on me. No, fool, yeah, what, whatever that, fool me twice, whatever that is. After the last two years, man, they're not. I think the coaches poll and also the recruits know that, hey, I know that if I go to Penn State, I could probably play in the NFL. The draft classes the last couple of years have played that. But what if I want to? What if I want to be on the national stage? What if I want to play for a championship? What if I want to be in the national playoff? Do I want to go to Penn State? 
or do I want to go to Georgia or Alabama or Ohio State? And the answer is the latter. Well, the the phrase you're referring to is fool me once, shame on you. Yes. Fool me twice, shame on me. Uh But the George W. Bush version of that is (laughs) fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, I, I won't get fooled again. That's the George, that's the George W. Bush, Bush version. You need to pull you need to pull your Bush impersonation out a little bit more often. I think I think I, <laughs> I wish you would apply some some of that to some other Penn State stuff as the year goes on because I think people would get a kick out of it. <laughs> well, I'll I'll keep working on it because that I you just prompted me to pull it out. I've never I don't think I've ever even tried it, but well, with good. a little bit of practice, we'll we'll keep going with it. So uh, to bottom line, in the twenty three class, I feel like. A couple of these were inevitable. Like Yazid Haynes was looking for a, a better deal the whole way through. The odds of keeping Marcus Stokes from flipping to Florida, yeah. I feel like we're going to be tough the whole way through. Good job by Penn State, I think, to recognize an undervalued kid early. Uh, they're working on trying to identify another undervalued kid and try to get to the finish line with yeah. him as well. And Tamarian Parker being from Alabama, um, that was going to be a tough pull. And as you, that's a, a good note from from your standpoint at a premium position. Yeah. You know, that's going to be tough to get to the finish line there. So the sky's not falling. This is still a right. really good class. It's built around the trenches. Um, and one last note, Georgia won a national title with a quarterback that was like 5'9 and 95 pounds last year. So <laughs> if that was the year that they broke through, I mean, that's that's going to be a tough program to hang with too. Yeah. I mean, if they ever get a good quarterback to pair with a defense like they had last year, I mean, they might as well just leave college football and just go straight to the NFL because that was – that was a pretty sick defense, and you're right. They they weren't doing it with mirrors on offense, but they didn't need a lot of help from their offense to just destroy teams. Yeah, 100%. Um, as you alluded to earlier, Penn State unranked in the coaches' poll. First time since the 2016 season, and I guess my first thing would be like, that turned out okay. But the <laughs> bottom line is, I think from from coach voters, you know, they're yeah. not looking past 11 and 11 the last two years. They're... Mm-hmm. I think they probably kind of see some of the same old with the quarterback back. And I, I think in some respects, that's a good thing. In some respects, you know, when it comes to trying to get national attention, uh, I don't think any, I don't think people are expecting a whole lot different than the last two years. And so they're unranked. Um, I think, I think there's a pretty good possibility if they start out, you know, strong. First yeah. of all, they were the, they, they had the second most votes among unranked teams. So it's not yeah. like nobody noticed them or anything, but. Uh, what do you make of this uh, this thing? You know, uh, it's it's pretty rare to go unranked in the, in the preseason polls. It is rare, even even at Penn State, it it is rare. Twenty five teams is a lot of teams. You know, to me, we talked. I talked a little bit about it with Dave Jones, um, but you know, to to be in the top twenty five, you know, somewhere in the top twenty five, even at the bottom end of the top twenty five, you got to be at least eight and four. I think at the end of the year or the end of the regular season, and then maybe you win a bowl game and you finish nine and four. And instead of being, you know, 23rd, you move up to like 16th or whatever. But you have to get to at least eight wins to even think about it at the end of the year. This is the preseason poll at the end of the year to be in top 25 consideration. The way that Penn State is right now, and you look at the schedule that they're playing, I think, I think if you're a coach and you actually filled out the ballot and it wasn't your SID, which Dave uh, had a problem with, but you look at the Ohio State game as a loss, even though it's in even though it's in Happy Valley. Penn State is one in seven against the Buckeyes during Franklin's time. You got to go to Michigan, and the only team, the only time they beat Michigan out there during Franklin's time was the COVID year of 2020, when Michigan pretty much was a disaster. Like they they just were not a typical Michigan team. Penn State beat them, 
they're one and three out there. And they got smoked a couple times out there too. They got smoked in 16. They got smoked in 18. So that you're, 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 that's two losses kind of right out of the chute. You got to open at Purdue. Week three, you got to play at Auburn. It's never, I don't think it's going to be easy to play an Auburn team that might, might only be a six-win team down there. And plus, they they're probably still remember last year's Penn State game. So and you got you got to play Michigan State, which ranked 14. I don't think Minnesota is a gimme uh, late in the year. I really think P.J. Flex a good coach. They do some things to shorten games, and they, they do some things that can give Penn State problems. So there's some there's there's a case that can can be made that they, Penn State can lose between four and six games fairly easily. Now, if they somehow start three and zero or two and one after three weeks, then I think top twenty five is definitely a possibility. But you know, it, it's just one of those things that you have to. Penn State traditionally under Franklin against a decent team, um, they they ha- they're not exactly killing teams on the road uh, during James Franklin's time at Penn State. Even sometimes with good teams, if they face a quality team. You know, the game's probably going to hang in the balance, even if Penn State plays well. The Wisconsin game last year, you know, that was a game that a lot, Penn State's defense played the game of its life in 20, the best game of the year in 2021 out of the gate to beat Wisconsin. And Wisconsin was pretty good. So I think, I think if I, if I had a a coach's vote, I probably would say, you got to prove it to me. I'm going to be, I'll put, I'll give you, I think you're right on the cusp, but until I see you win, start the year two and one, I'm not going to take you as a serious top 25 team. Here's one thing that I'll continue to harp on, and we saw it in 2020. I uh, also saw it in 2021. Um, the hangover effect that, that Penn State goes through after a, a tough loss. That hangover effect lasted about a month after losing Indiana in overtime on the yeah. road. I mean, you really you can't help but look back and think how the season might have changed had they won that game, which to me, you know, that's a, a characteristic of James Franklin and his staff. I don't know why. Yeah. But looking back at 2016, before they really turned the corner, um, the hangover effect got them blown out at Michigan um, yeah. that that season, and that 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 loss ultimately kind of cost them everything. Um, so, you know, I think to, which is to say that you better. I think you need to beat Purdue. I mean, I I, I don't know how yeah. else to put it. Like, I think I, I think for some reason there's a little bit of fragility after a really emotional loss. And I think maybe it's because James Franklin's a pretty emotional guy. I have no idea, but it makes that Purdue game really, really important. Not in the grand scheme of the top 25. I mean, that'll take care of itself if they do their thing. But um, for this team to get going, like it, it, it's like when they have a really tough season opener, yeah. you got you to gotta really pay attention. Yeah. And I think if you had just done all that as, as George Bush, again, I think that's a time where you, <laughs> I think you just made a great point. But if you made it as George Bush, I would probably have to discontinue the podcast because I'd still be laughing and I need like a call like a 60 <laughs> second timeout. But your your points like 2017, they lose 39-38 to Ohio State in a game. They were up 15, I think, in the fourth quarter. Then I think the next game they played, they played in that weather delay game at Michigan State. They should never lost that game. And those were their only two losses. Otherwise, they might have been a playoff team in 17. Um, you know, even the... Even last year, the Iowa game, I think they had a bye. I know Sean was beat up, but they just bungled the next game at home against Illinois, which was not a good team. And they were in free fall, Dustin, after yeah. after that. So it's happened more often than I think that Penn State fans realize. And I think your point is a good one. You know, if you start the season with a loss at Purdue, especially if it's controversial or it's close, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, 
I mean, there's every reason to believe how long will it take them to, to right the ship and then go win at in the South in Alabama two weeks later. I mean, it's, it's a tough ask. I, I do think it's, I mean, Penn State fans are upset that they always have to open Big Ten play on the road. And I think they have a valid point. It is pretty ridiculous how many times they've had to do that. It's a lot easier to win at home. But, you know, you, if when they do lose, the, the loss seems to last a lot more than 24 hours. It seems to last about three weeks. And they have to, they have to figure out – you, you can't afford to carry a loss, you know, more than a couple of days. And traditionally, they have done that. So that makes the Purdue game even a bigger deal. And what would have happened if they would have lost the Wisconsin game last year is my question. How many games would they have lost? It it is a it is a fair question. Like especially when you talk about a season opener where you spend a lot of time specifically right. for that opponent and thinking about that opponent and and game planning and and all that. You put a lot into that week one. If you if you don't win it, yeah, uh, and and it suddenly feels like now you know this team not being ranked and stuff like that. Like it, there's the I don't think there's a lot of like expectations attached uh, inherently. Not that the, you know I'm sure the team does for themselves, but. Yeah. It's not like if you're the number two team in the country and you're feeling like you're in the college football playoff race and you lose, there's a there's a good chance of free fall there. Yeah. Um, I wanted to just sh- share my experience as a former SID who helped a coach vote in huh? a coach's poll. OK, uh, where I would where I would be. So what I did for him was uh, it was baseball. I would mm-hmm. put together a, a list of, you know, what it looks like the top 30 or 35 teams or so. Um, with a resume of what they did the previous weekend, how many games they've won in a row, what just whatever pertinent information so they can actually have a base of knowledge. The preseason poll is interesting. Like if I were James Franklin's SID, and I'm lobbying for it right now, um, I, I would really put together all the basics of like um, how many starters back on offense, how many starters back on defense, where they rank nationally in a couple key categories, offense, defense, whatever, and help my coach uh, make an educated choice. Um, and take that, like, I don't think anybody's realistically expecting James Franklin to go and spend, you know, four hours on each team to, to prepare it. So that yep. I felt like w- was my job and maybe they have something like that going. So that way, yeah, the coach isn't doing the, the hard line research, but he's got most of the important information to not, to be able to take it seriously anyway. Yeah. And actually I thought, you know, there was, I, I think there was only, there's only three teams in that initial coaches poll that Penn State plays I think Ohio State's two I think they're two I think Michigan's six that's I think that's just too high for Michigan I never I never quite understand that they did lose a lot off of last year's team a lot of really good players um and I think Michigan State is 14th but I mean I I just think that you know Purdue is a team they won eight games last year I think that you know they got their quarterback back which in that offense with that play caller head coach that's a dangerous thing when you return your your quarterback and he had a good year last year. I mean, that's that's a sign that if he, that quarterback stays healthy, it really doesn't matter who the receivers are. Brome's just going to scheme people open. So I think Purdue is uh, legitimately a team you need to worry about. I still think Minnesota is a pretty decent team, but you know, I, who knows about Auburn and that Brian Harson guy? I mean, they certainly have talent, but you know, Penn State's gonna is going to play some games uh, against some teams. Even a team like, you know what, Dustin, even a team like Maryland, we can laugh about Maryland and how, t- how there have been times that Penn State's just utterly, utterly just toyed with them. But, you know, they did, they did beat Penn State pretty good two years ago. They do have a veteran quarterback. 
Uh, Loxley has recruited like a madman the last couple of years. There's some serious NFL talent, I think, on that team. I don't know that you can dismiss them. It seems like Penn State always has them in trouble when they go to when when they play at Maryland. But up at Penn State, there's been a couple times when Maryland's just beaten them. So even even Maryland, I think, is no gimme um, given what Penn State has back and given what Maryland has back. So yeah, I think the schedule is tougher, and I'd be surprised if at the end of the year, I think there'll be more top twenty five teams that Penn State has played than just three in the in the final top twenty five. Is there any better mascot for the 2020 season than that Maryland game where they score back to back on the exact same play? Yeah. You know, like, and and communication, whatever, whatever it was on that. I mean, that was just, yeah. Yep. Yep. Tonga Vialoa to Rakeem Jarrett. And I mean, good, good play call. Good play. I mean, if I were Loxley, I would call the same thing until they proved they could stop it too. (laughs) But that was, that was just a a pretty embarrassing scene there at home. To, to give that up twice in a row. I would say if you're looking at low lights, and I know we're talking about 2022, the the effort at home against Maryland and just the sheer, the, the amount of mistakes and botched red zone play in that loss at Nebraska where they had, I think Penn State had close to 500 yards of offense by the end of the game, but they just, they, that was not a great Nebraska team. Penn State, felt they gave up a defensive touchdown and fell behind early. Clifford got pulled. Will Levis came in. But they should have never lost those two games. And if they, do, if they just win those two games, they're six and, what are they, six and three instead of four and five. Yeah. And six and three with that controversial loss to Indiana. I mean, I think the fan base could live with that, but it was just a... It was a blunderthon early in the season, and they they never dug out of that hole. They they hung their heads for more than half the season. Welcome to Curaleaf, a medical marijuana dispensary. Whether you're a longtime patient or you're just getting acquainted with this incredible plant, Curaleaf of Pennsylvania is honored to guide you along your medical marijuana journey. Have questions? Visit us at cureleaf.com or stop in to see us at any of our locations, including our new state college dispensary located at 1248 South Atherton Street. Let's talk medical marijuana and let our confidence become yours. You just inspired me to come up with a good podcast topic that all Penn State fans would love is all the roll back all the lowlights since 2014. <laughs> Every low light. That's where that's where we've drifted towards. Let's just do that one full show of it. Get it out of our system. Well, the ratings will love. I bet you. We, I bet you. It's <laughs> highly, really highly rated uh, podcast. But we'll see. I'm I'm down for it if you want to do it. I don't know the Penn State will appreciate it, but I mean, the the, the truth is out there. I mean, it, it's not like it didn't happen. Uh, depends on the mood. I think. Like yeah. maybe follow like. Following a low light loss, if there is yeah. one in in the fall, yeah. if they we'll, beat Ohio we'll, State, we'll, let's not come back with this. <laughs> yes. Biggest mistake since 2014. We'll 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 read the room on that one. Okay. Um. So, uh, season of change, obviously in college football. I yeah. you know I can't think of a time where there's been more change, more rapidly going on than this. And one of the things that's been sort of kicked around, especially right after USC and UCLA made their announcement, they're coming to the Big Ten, is that the future of watching uh, Big Ten football was going to evolve a little bit. I think Monday was a nice little reminder that that's underway, where um, ESPN out of the bidding for Big Ten games for the first time in what, like 15 or 20 years, I think, 
uh, not just being able to flip over to ESPN or ESPN2 or ESPN The Ocho to catch a Penn State game. Um, I think, it, like I said, to me, it was just a realization that, okay, how you're viewing things is going is going to change. Yeah, and Dustin, so I just want to make sure, like, I, 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 I was reading there was various interpretations of what, there was all these reports out there. So the way it stands now, like, for the future, Fox is a major player when it comes to the Big Ten, obviously, but ESP, the ESPN dropout of the, the bidding for the second Big Ten game, like, is it the whatever... Fox probably has its mitts on a lot of the so-called top games of the week that involve the Big Ten. But I think the, the, the bidding for maybe the, the next best game for, on the Penn State docket, like whatever, whatever time that might be, probably 3.30 more often than not because it's Fox. But essentially, was that what they dropped out of? It's, I think it's, it's going to be – is it yeah. going to be CBS? So whatever. CBS, yeah. Yeah. And so that's not a – it's not a – terrible adjustment i think for penn state fans although there are probably some older penn state fans that are going to completely not know this and they're going to turn on espn at 3 30 you know on september and they're like wait a minute what what's going on yeah i mean and we're, we're talking about so much money just for the second best game in the big 10 that it's just ridiculous it's crazy to think about this kind of money and not being not being able to financially compete for the second best game uh, from that uh, said conference, but that's just the way things have escalated the last 10 years. I mean, I just think back to the 2007, I think it was 2007 when uh, the Big Ten Network started up and everyone was like, I don't know if this is going to work. This is crazy. What do you mean? You're going to have a network that does all of the Big Ten sports? Like, who's going to watch that? Well, a lot of people are going to watch that. It's more than just football. They've done it well, but it's just... You know, that was 15 years ago. And look at how much the climate has changed. Can you imagine like 10 years from now what people are going to be spending and how they're going to be consuming and where we're going to be watching Penn State games? I mean, I think all bets are off. Like it could be anywhere. You know, it could be you could be, you know, Jeff, Jeff Bezos might just buy like, you know, the Big Ten Conference and decide to put it on his own. <laughs> like he doesn't care. How much money does that guy have? Who Anything's in play. I mean, it's it's all about it's all about the money. So follow the money, and that's where you're going to find out where Penn State's games are going to be in 2032. I don't know where they're going to be. I don't know. You might be broadcasting them for all I know. I don't. I don't know. But it is a crazy world, and this is this is just the next step where ESPN of all people just dropped out of the bidding, and that's crazy. Uh, it it is crazy, and I think. Where it's going is probably not someplace where, where you know, the older fan base is going to love. You look at the NFL model, for example, where they're doing Amazon on Thursday nights. Yeah. And you have to have NFL Network for, for this. You know, like it, it, it's going to be piecemeal in, in some respects yeah. on, a small, on a small scale. But the odds in five or six, seven years, the odds of Penn State games all being on your traditional cable viewing experience are pretty slim. I feel like there's going to be one game or two games or whatever that you're going to have to have some kind of peacock or streaming platform for. And it's just like, it's where all this is going. I find this hilarious that, you know, like six or seven years ago, everybody was like, I want to cut the cord. I want to be able to handpick my watching experience. And now it's like, you have to have 48 different uh, apps and streaming services. If you want the same viewing experience that you just had, guess what? You didn't save any money in all this. It just got broken up into different ways. I think football is doing the same thing. Yeah. Like, I think maybe in 10 years, it'll be on Hulu 6. Like, it won't be the first Hulu. It'll be like one of six Hulu platforms 
the Hulu Big Ten Network or something like that. But, you know, I, I, I think there are some Penn State fans that 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, all they wanted to do, Dustin, on Saturday is for a 3.30 game, get to the local watering hole, you know, slam 15 or 18 beers, watch the game, have a nice dinner that probably featured a cheeseburger and French fries or something else really healthy. And then get ready for the NFL, call it an early night and then do it all over again on Sunday. And I think that that is going to be not available. And also, I just wonder about, I think a lot of Penn State fans, and it's the same with like Steelers fans and Eagles fans, instead of going out there, I think there's a lot of house parties. If you're not going to go to the game, bring all the friends over. And I think, if, I wonder if that gets interrupted, like how they're going to adjust. What if you were, what if you weren't viewing the game with just your, you know, your immediate family, but you had like 20 or 30 people over? And it's going to become more challenging to watch the game. How upset are you going to be? Are you going to adjust? What are you going to do? But I hope, like you said, I hope they have a plan B for watching Penn State games because I think year in and year out, it's going to change a little bit. Have you ever heard of like um, like a silent dance party or like a, it's like a, like a silent disco where everybody goes and gathers? And I think I th- when I think of it, I think of like teenagers in a field where they're all listening to loud music, but nobody around can hear like they can get away with it. <laughs> That's what I want the viewing experience to be. Everybody show up in one house party, put your headphones on, get your phone out, watch Penn State, you know, beat Purdue. Nobody makes a peep. Nobody says anything. Everybody celebrates in their own way. That's what I, that's what I want it to be. That could be the future. If you can, get, if you, if you can see the future that well, Dustin, and, and you're aware of it, if it's going to come that way, maybe there's some way you can monetize it. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking at ways now. Silent disco so, party? Did you say a silent disco party? Yeah. All right. Yeah. I feel like there's some personal experience there, but I'm going to leave it alone. I'm just going to leave it alone. It was, um, BYOBB. Bring your own bell bottoms for that, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> one last note. I want to, I want to, I want to give you the, the floor on this one. I know, yeah. you know, it's a few days old at this point, but media day. Yeah. Um, you did hear from a bunch of people, James Franklin, Manny Diaz, yeah. Mike Yersich. Uh, you talked to some players, whatever. What, what yeah. are two or three things that really jump out as being surprises or especially noteworthy from that experience for you? Uh, I think Manny, uh, Manny Diaz is a very sharp guy. I really do think, <clears throat> not that Brent Pry wasn't a sharp guy, but I think, I think Manny is getting ready to have this Penn State defense get after people in a way that maybe Penn State fans aren't used to seeing. I think you're going to see some unorthodox schemes. I think he is really going to cause some problems for offenses because it's going to be a little bit of a different look that they're used to seeing from Penn State, especially early in the season. Like I think if you're Jeff Brom and you're the Purdue offensive staff, I think I would be a little bit more nervous about this Penn State defense because even though they lost a lot of really good players, uh, they have a lot of really good players coming back. And they do – Penn State is able, I think, at most positions now, the way they recruit, they can reload pretty quickly. And the guys that are making big plays aren't necessarily the guys that were, you know, uh, you know, really, really important pieces the year before. So I think that Manny is going to cause some problems, especially early in the season for for defense, for opposing offenses, regardless of how talented they are. I mean, I think even some good offenses could really have their hands full. I, I think that Manny is not afraid to pull the trigger on anything. I think, you know, zero blitz, whatever. I mean, they, they have a gr- they have a secondary they like. I think they're going to really, really get after people. I, I am concerned about the linebacker core, but the more I think about it, like he's, 
he's just, I think you're just really going to see Penn State basically in, 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 you know, unless it's short yardage, they're just going to have two, two linebackers on the field. So it'll be a four, two, five play to your strength. That was my one takeaway. The other thing I just, I just find it fascinating. James Franklin was talking during his uh, presser and he, you know, I don't think he's ever really said this before. And once you say it into existence, like, I think, I think now, I mean, I was, I was always wondering about this, but he said, you know, we have this retreat every year before the, before it gets real serious. I take all the assistant coaches to some city in Pennsylvania, bonding experience. We share stories, everything, nothing's off limits. Every, anyone can speak up. And he said, you know what? I told the assistants, like, uh, when it comes to playing and developing young players early in the season, don't let ego get in the way. And he was talking as an example, you know, I, and he was right. I can remember some games on defense where like they were shutting out Coastal Carolina, like whatever that score was, you know, and they, they, they actually coached to preserve the shutout. You know, guys played longer than they should have. I think James called a timeout right, right before Coastal Carolina was going to try a field goal and, and they missed it. And a lot was made of that. Um, but I don't think it's on the, def- I don't think it's the defensive side that he was getting at because Penn State has always played a lot of young guys on defense. They've always played second teamers at key stages of defensive games, even if it meant they were going to give us some points or give up some yards because they wanted their, their best players sharp, uh, you know, fresh in the fourth quarter. But I think on the offensive side, and specifically I took that as well, what did they not do last year, Dustin? And it cost them against Iowa and ultimately it cost them against Illinois. They never, ever had any interest in figuring out, A, if their depth chart number two quarterback could play, and B, if he was really the second best quarterback on the depth chart. They never had any interest in that. You know, they, they, played, they, played, who was, they played Ball State early. They had that game under control pretty easily. They, even though they couldn't run the ball, they, they handled Villanova pretty good. But, I mean, could you not have figured out what you had in your quarterbacks in those games by giving them meaningless, meaningful snaps way earlier in those games. And it bit them. It bit them in the backside in the Iowa game. McPherson wasn't, wasn't ready to play, and he wasn't good enough. And that's why he transferred. And it turns out that it was, it was Veyu. And why am I bringing this up? Well, I think, I mean, they, they know what they have in Sean Clifford, right? They know what they have in Sean Clifford. They also know that Sean is a, is a tough guy, and he tries to – he tries too hard to, to get extra yards. He'll take sacks. He doesn't necessarily try and throw the ball away. He takes unnecessary punishment. So the odds of him playing a full season, I would say, are not good just because he plays too tough for his body. But, like, that's a gifted quarterback room. So when you play, when you play Ohio in week two and the score might be like 31-3 at halftime, does Sean Clifford need to play the whole third quarter? Can you at least look at all of the young quarterbacks you know, and even in even later in the year, if they get up on Northwestern or Central Michigan, like make sure you you know going into the meat of your schedule what your backups and your young offensive players can do. So he said this now, especially with the quarterbacks, especially with a guy like Aller. Um, now, if he doesn't do it, I think he's left himself wide open. And like, I don't think you know James is the CEO. I don't think he could say, well. Mike wanted to give him another series. No, you just said, let's not let the ego get in the door. I mean, you're the head coach. I mean, get, get those guys in. I think it's a big year for the quarterback room. And I think early in the season, if they have a team down and you know they're not going to get back up, 
you should get Sean out of the game and you should play multiple young quarterbacks because you have to you have to decide on the future and you might need this guy in the second half of the season. And this is really the first time he's kind of hinted at the fact that, hey, maybe we need to do things differently. Well, we'll see how how hard it is for those old habits to die, because, you know, it's one thing to be sitting in the woods and, yeah. and you know, wherever and uh, and say, hey, you know, but then, you know, when you're in the game and you're yeah. the head coach and you it's the it's mid third quarter and you're up thirty five, nothing. Yeah. And you're still paranoid that mathematically, you know, if we give if we give up some cheap points, this thing can get away from us. You know what I mean? Like that's. I think that's part of the thinking too. And by the way, I thought of this whenever you were talking about um, calling timeout against Coastal Carolina. Yeah. Uh, do you know of any other coach who can inadvertently do such unpopular things for e- for reasons that he that he has in his mind? You know, like the timeouts and like the hey, we're not great, we're not elite yet, but we're great. Like th- th- there's just all kinds of ways that James is able to uh, kind of stoke the fire of people who really want to hate him anyway, yeah. and, and just kind of feed into that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're right. It's it's a hard habit to break. But now that you've actually thrown it out there, now that it's on tape, now that we have video evidence of him saying that, now that it's stories have been written about it, like it's gonna be really tough to walk back if if they don't do that and then they get themselves in a position where Sean gets hurt and the next guy up is completely ill prepared. Uh, at least for a couple weeks to to play good enough football to keep them in a game. So I I do agree with you, but I, I I guess my point is, Dustin, this is really the first time I can remember him actually volunteering the information. He didn't he wasn't even asked about it. And I'm like, well, this has been on everyone's mind ever since the Iowa game last year, at least. And now he's brought it up, and now he said it's going to be different. So there's I mean, if look if. If your defense cannot hold a 35-point lead in the middle of the third quarter at home against the Ohio Bobcats, I mean, you probably shouldn't be the head coach. Right. Right. And and this is where it's interesting. Like, I think James knows now by bringing it up. And and when when you're saying that, I'm like, you know, why does he care? You know, what what difference does it make? Like, if people say, hey, you said this, he's still, you know, he's still going to, but he will know that he's going to have to answer for that in a different yeah. way, like you can say, Hey, and, and I think this is where, you know, reporters can kind of ask on behalf of fans. It's like, look, you said three weeks ago that <laughs> it was important to you to get ego out of the way and yeah. to make sure these young guys get in the game. Here was an example, right? You know, it's 42, seven and nobody yeah. played. Why, yeah. what, 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 what changed? You know, yeah. and you're going to have to answer that question. Yeah. Or you put you put the quarterback in and all he does is hand off to the fifth string tailback or he just kneels down two plays. It's like, I, I mean, I really think that is something that even he knows he has to coach those games differently in the second half. You, you, you just have to do it. Even if you even if you give up some points and even if you give up some big plays, you have to find out what you have, because if you, if you don't know, if you don't trust your depth or you're wrong about somebody. I mean, it's it can it can get i thought the it was a little embarrassing the iowa and the i mean it, it was it wasn't a little embarrassing it was a lot embarrassing that they would rather have put in a clearly ailing and in pain Sean Clifford uh to start against Illinois who was like a 28 point underdog on homecoming and one and after like the first quarter he basically and they never they never they couldn't even go they wouldn't even think about going to off a bye week they wouldn't even go to any of the backups 
who were healthy. And I think that was at this level, that was an indictment, I think, of how he kind of coaches um, early in the season, especially the quarterback position. Well, we just had a, had another item to add to our low li- low light podcast, which will be coming up. <laughs> the date TBD, Penn State, Illinois, starting an ailing quarterback. Uh, real, a real good, a real good time to be had by all. Well, that's that's it for this edition. It's really a, a sunny way to to exit here. Bob Flanders <laughs> bringing up Penn State, Illinois, uh, on the blue white breakdown here. We will be yeah. back next week. Uh, you can ch- tune in. We've got daily podcasts here. You can download them everywhere podcasts are. A lot of stuff coming up, too, in terms of video and stories on PennLive.com. Mm-hmm. That's at PennLive.com slash Penn State Football. And including um, the, our, our preview section, which will be coming out here in a, in a yeah. little bit for the season. Bob, Bobby's busy with that, so we'll, we'll get him back to that. Thanks mm-hmm. for tuning into this edition of the Blue White Breakdown. We'll see you next time. This has been the Blue White Breakdown, brought to you by Penn Live.